I'm Liz Sauer, and this is Ghosts in the Burbs, a podcast of ghost stories from Wellesley, Massachusetts. A warning, adults who use adult language told me these frightening tales, these ghost stories, aren't for kids. I am so excited to get to this week's story. Old Ouija board Nick is one of the most reviled Ghosts in the Burbs neighbors, and lucky for us, his own next-door neighbor spilled some tea. I must apologize, though. As hard as I tried, I was not completely on my game for this recording. I did my very best, but the house is not quiet, and I was on borrowed time recording this episode between the kids' classroom Zoom sessions. Anyone else hate Zoom yet? Try sitting in on a bunch of kindergartners telling each other how and why they love their favorite books. It'll cure your love of technology, toot sweet. Anyhow, before we get to the story, I have to say thank you all for ordering Ghosts in the Burbs merch in support of Direct Relief. You're making my birthday wish come true. There's still time to order merch. Just go to ghostsintheburbs.com and click on the merch tab. All proceeds from now through Monday, April 13th, my 41st birthday, will be donated to Direct Relief, an organization that gets much-needed PPEs to healthcare workers. All right, let's get to it. Around a ghost story number 52. Game Night Revisited. Janet looked embarrassed. Oh, that, yeah. It sounds much worse than what it really is. Dirty Pictionary is just when you split up men against women and each team comes up with the words the other team has to draw. You'd think everyone would choose words that are hard to draw, like onomatopoeia or something, but it ends up being a competition to see which team could come up with the most salacious terms. It was silly, really. We were just trying to make each other laugh. What a riot, Betty chuckled. That actually sounds like a lot of fun. Janet smiled sadly. It was. We had a great time together before that night. The Ouija board game night, I guessed. Janet stood abruptly, bumping into the table and causing Biddy and I to simultaneously reach for our mugs to avoid a spill. Would you like me to top you off? Janet asked, moving past the marble-topped kitchen island to the professional-grade coffee maker slash espresso machine slash milk frother on the counter beside the sink. Yes, please, I said, as Biddy replied, no thanks. Janet returned to the kitchen table with the pot of coffee and refilled both of our mugs, either having not heard Biddy's response or simply ignored it. I winked at Biddy, and she rolled her eyes in response as Janet returned the pot to the counter. We were sitting in the kitchen of Janet Morgan, ex-neighbor of Nick and Maeve Sayer, Janet of the infamous Ouija board game night. Text in brackets, see ghost story number two, Ouija, I hardly know ya, and brackets. The woman who had blessed St. Benedict medals placed at the four corners of her property by a priest, only to have them dug up and removed by Nick Sayer himself. As Janet took her seat back at the table across from Biddy and I, she said, I've been reading your blog for the past few years. I wanted to reach out so many times, but I was afraid talking about what happened would open us back up to everything. I think I can say with almost complete certainty that the border you put around this property is working very well, I assured her. Really? How can you tell? 
I glanced over at Biddy. Her eyebrows were high in her forehead. She was obviously interested in the answer as well. Uh, well, I haven't heard any spirits, ghosts, since we got out of the car. Even Claire? Betty asked. I shook my head and continued, which is odd considering the part of town we're in. What do you mean? Janet asked, her face full of concern. Just that there's a cemetery, like two streets over, right? I hadn't thought of that, Betty said. Janet looked frightened. Is that something we should be concerned about? No, I'm saying you've done a really good job protecting your house. As far as I can tell, there aren't any ghosts here at all. If you don't mind me asking, what did you do to clear the property? We had a Catholic priest bless the house and the land. He also buried St. Benedict medals at the four corners of the property. Then to cover all the bases, I had a Wiccan high priestess perform a ritual blessing on our property, and she cleared out all the remaining negative energies. I smudge Mike and me and the kids and the entire house every Saturday morning, too. Biddy snorted. That'll do it. Janet eyed her. How long did you work with Nick? Less than a year, Biddy replied, but it felt like an eternity. You were on his ghost hunting team? No, Biddy replied firmly. I turned to her. I thought... It wasn't his ghost hunting team, Biddy clarified. I'd been investigating hauntings with a group called the Metro West Ghost Hunting Society for months before that creep weaseled his way in. He was like poison. We'd had such a nice thing going, and then he came in and ruined it. Janet looked relieved. Join the club, she said with a small laugh. When Janet reached out to me, I immediately asked if Biddy could tag along on the interview. Janet was hesitant. Actually, she flat out said she didn't want Biddy there, which shocked me. After further discussion, I realized it was because of Biddy's tie to Nick Sayer and the fact that they'd worked on the same ghost hunting team. I assured her that Biddy neither liked nor approved of Nick. I was probably a little bit too pushy, but when Janet emailed me, I'd only recently accepted and begun working with my new audio clairvoyance. I was interested in what she had to say about her experience after the fateful game night at Nick's house. I'd always wondered about the next-door neighbor Nick had mentioned whose St. Benedict medals he dug up out of their yard. But I was skittish, not wanting to go alone to what might be a haunted house, and a demonically haunted one at that. Eventually, Janet relented and agreed that Betty could attend the interview as well. I guess I trust your judgment, she'd said on our last phone call. I just don't want anyone in my house with ties to that man. For her part, Betty was thrilled at the chance to talk shit about Nick. What exactly happened at that game night? I asked. Janet shifted in her seat. It was basically like what Nick told you. I read the blog post of your interview with him, but it wasn't like that. It was much more frightening than he let on, and he was just as freaked out as everyone else. I dug up the old audio of that interview yesterday, I admitted. And yeah, he made it sound like the board was pretty responsive, and then Maeve saw a weird shadow, and that was pretty much the end of it. Janet pursed her lips. She was absolutely tiny, bird-like, but unnaturally so. It showed in her taut face. I don't know what the hell we were thinking, agreeing to play that Ouija board. It was just Nick, my husband Mike, and I, and our friends Gary and Melissa who agreed to play. 
Nick's wife, Maeve, was too freaked out, and the McCarthys, Jen and Dave, flat out refused. Nick said something about them not wanting to play because of their religion, I commented. Well, like, yes and no. They're Catholic and all, but they just thought the idea was flat out lame. Nick was all, what are you afraid of getting kicked out of your church? But they weren't the ones to bring up religion. He was. Biddy made a noise of disgust. What a jerk. Totally, Janet agreed. Anyway, the fact that we were drinking had a lot to do with our agreeing to play the game. At the beginning of the night, we sort of treated it like a joke, you know? Nick said that's what he wanted us to play, but we were like, whatever. I honestly thought we'd end up playing Dirty Pictionary like we always did, but after a couple of drinks, Nick set the board up on the table and lit a bunch of candles around it. He's always been kind of a strange ranger, but I really liked Maeve, so Mike and I tolerated him. That's how everyone in the group dealt with Nick. He was tolerated. He was just a know-it-all blowhard. All his so-called real estate expertise is a load of crap. I sold houses for 15 years. Guys like Nick in this economy, a seller's market like this one, guys like Nick do just fine, but just wait until the correction comes. And trust me, it's coming. It always does. Nick will wash out. He won't have the chance to look like a hero. As if he were the one responsible for low inventory and low interest rates. What do you do for work now? Biddy asked obviously as taken aback by Janet's rant as I was. I'm still in sales. When she didn't elaborate, I said, so tell us what you experienced at that game night. Janet opened a fresh packet of Splenda and dumped it into her mug. It was her fourth packet. I'd been counting. She said, so like five of us played the game. We all put our fingers on the planchette and Nick spouted off about the rules. Huh, I mumbled. So he did lay some groundwork for the game. Well, yeah, but it wasn't like the game was new to any of us. So you'd played before? Biddy jumped in, as though catching Janet in a lie. No, never. But we've all seen it on television, right? Look, here's the thing. That night was freaky, but the chain of events it set off was unimaginable. That night was just the beginning, and I still don't know if Nick set us up. Like... Whether he got us all to his house to open up the board like that on purpose, or if he was just being his usual ignorant, know-it-all bullshitting self. What I do know is that we didn't close out our session on the Ouija board, and that's something with even my limited knowledge I knew was a thing you're supposed to do. Biddy raised her mug to her lips. So why didn't you? Janet snorted. Nick refused. He was like, that's just an old superstition made it seem like we were stupid to even suggest it. That asshole knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah, you're right. I just don't understand why he would do it. Biddy sighed. He was like that on investigations, too. Always pushing the envelope, desperate to make something happen. I had my own reasons for getting out of ghost hunting, but I knew working with Nick was dangerous. He wanted it too badly. I tried to warn him, told him about the shadow figure that had attached to me, but instead of listening, he thought it was actually cool. Said he would kill to have an experience like that. Shadow figure? Janet's face drained of color. Don't worry, I reassured her quickly. It's gone. I'd know if it were anywhere near us. And besides, nothing's getting through that barrier you set up. The shadow's been gone for a long time now. 
Betty added. Janet's shoulders slumped. I just, I can't go through all of that again. I'm just so fucking tired of being scared. Until we moved, until we got away from that fucking lunatic, I couldn't relax for a second. I was drinking a bottle of wine every night just to get to sleep. She took a deep breath and ran a hand through her thin blonde hair. Fuck, she said, blowing out the breath. What happened after game night? I asked quietly. That night, my husband and I both had nightmares about doors, long hallways of doors that creaked open on their own, and it was just like you knew there was something beyond those doors you did not want to see. You both dreamed that? Yeah. Stupidly, we chalked it up to getting creeped out at game night, and we tried to downplay it, but that very next morning when I went down to get coffee, I found our front door wide open. The kids were totally fine. Mike went a little nuts checking the whole house to make sure no one, people or animals, had broken in. We figured we'd been a little drunker than we thought the night before and hadn't closed the door properly. But if I was being honest with myself, I was pretty sure we'd come in through the garage that night. It began happening more and more often. I'd closed a cabinet in the kitchen only to turn around and find it wide open. But it was so subtle that it was easy to explain away at first. There was this feeling in the house. Well, like, not in the actual house. It was like we were being watched through the windows. Like, no matter where you were, you couldn't hide from it. The kids felt it, too. They didn't say it, but they started hanging out downstairs with us at night rather than retreating into their bedrooms with their phones. So how old are they? Betty asked. Sydney is 16 and Caitlin is 18 now, but at the time they were 14 and 16. They got into a couple arguments over sneaking into each other's rooms. It was a common argument between them at the time over clothes and the laptop, but these disagreements were different. They were accusing one another of opening each other's closets and leaving their windows open. Uh-oh, I groaned. Janet looked down at her coffee mug. Do you guys want any more coffee? Biddy and I both declined. I probably shouldn't have any more either. Janet said, getting up from the table, but I'm going to. We watched her refill her mug and stir in another two packets of Splenda. I was getting worried for her, even though I knew it wasn't any of my business. She was real thin. The Lululemon leggings and long-sleeved top she wore showed not an ounce of fat. Beneath her beautifully applied makeup was a grayish tint, a lack of healthy glow. I wondered if she subsisted on Splenda and coffee and felt overwhelmingly sad for her. So, Janet continued, dropping back into the seat across from us, that's how it all began, with a bunch of strange things happening in the house that might or might not be able to be explained away. But when Sydney saw the little boy in the laundry room, we couldn't ignore the fact that something was happening and that it was getting worse. A little boy? Janet nodded and took a sip of her coffee, grimacing as she did. Our laundry room is on the second floor. Lucky, I interrupted, causing Biddy to shoot me a look. Janet smiled. It is quite convenient, but Sydney was taking her lacrosse uniform out of the dryer late one night. She needed to pack it for an away game the next day, and we'd almost forgotten to wash it. Anyhow, the rest of us were already in bed. I was watching an old episode of Roni, and Mike was playing his gem drop game on his phone when we heard her scream. 
I just swung my legs over the side of the bed to see what was wrong when she burst through the door, screaming that there was a little boy in the house. Mike rushed past her, asking, where? The laundry room, she yelled to him, but when Mike looked through the house, there was no sign of the boy. Biddy leaned forward. What exactly did she see? Well, she was crouched down, digging through the clothing in the dryer to pull out her uniform, when, as she put it, she sent someone watching her. She turned to look, and there was a little boy poking his head out from the small space between the wall and the washing machine. Oh, man, I breathe. She said he looked like he was about five or six years old, really skinny with bright blue eyes and a full head of blonde hair. They stared at each other for a minute. Sydney said she was so shocked she couldn't move. Then he came all the way out, and she saw he was wearing a black t-shirt, an adult-sized one, like maybe it was his dad's, and he wasn't wearing anything on his feet. She said his feet were filthy, that there was dirt caked beneath his toenails. She stood up and backed away from him. What's your name? She asked him, thinking that some neighborhood kid had wandered into the house. But then the boy smiled, and she saw his little teeth were all black and rotten-looking, He put a dirty hand to his chest and said, ball. But he didn't have a little boy's voice. She said he sounded like a grown-up, a man. That's when she screamed and ran into our room. I turned to look at Biddy. Nick talked about ball, too. Ball, she said quietly, looking truly concerned for the first time. What in the world is a high-ranking demon doing in Wellesley? In your laundry room, no less. Janet watched us. We didn't know what it meant until the priest came to our house, and that wasn't for at least another week. That night, we called the police. They came and searched the house in the neighborhood, under the impression that some kid had wandered away from home and found his way into our house. The whole thing was just so unsettling. It didn't make sense. The boy's teeth and dirty feet, his voice... But we felt better getting the police involved, even if they didn't turn anything up. I nodded in agreement. But then what made you get a priest involved? More of the same. Doors opening and shutting on their own. Voices. Caitlin heard what sounded like a little kid jumping rope in the attic in the middle of the night. Child footsteps behind me in the hallway when no one was there. So we talked to our friends, the McCarthys, Jen and Dave, about it. The ones who didn't play the game because they thought it was stupid and dangerous. They're Catholic and offered to call their priest for us. He agreed to come to the house. The second he heard the word ball, or what we now know as ball, he told us we needed a house blessing. He asked us if we'd been baptized. My husband and I had, but we hadn't ever gotten around to baptizing the girls. He said he wasn't looking to overstep or force religion on us, but that he felt the blessing would be most effective if we allowed him to baptize the entire family. I told him he could have at it, anything to get whatever the hell was in our house out. Before he left, he buried four St. Benedict medals at the four corners of our property to ensure that the demon couldn't return. He advised us that the best way to proceed was to attend Mass weekly, but that if we weren't comfortable with that, then we had to choose some sort of spiritual practice. I wasn't keen on the idea of church, so we decided as a family that we'd go on a hike together every Sunday morning to spend time together, clear away the stress of the week. I read up on house hauntings online and started saging the house. I did that, still do for that matter, every Sunday morning. Good thing you got help so quickly, 
that could have escalated out of control. Who said it didn't escalate? Janet replied. Wait, I said, the house blessing didn't work? Janet let out a snort of disgust. It worked for a short time, but Nick is one determined son of a bitch. Whoa, what do you mean? Biddy asked. Very soon after the priest came to the house, weird stuff began happening. I let out a nervous laugh. Weirder than a demon in your laundry room? No, a different kind of weird. Like, someone ordered 15 pizzas to the house. A baseball smashed to the picture window that looks over our backyard, and Mike found three dead squirrels at the end of our driveway. Then someone, Janet made the imaginary air quotes motion, started a conversation on What's Up Wellesley, suggesting that we ran dogfights in our basement. They claimed they had all this proof and that the police were looking the other way, so she needed the support of the community. Not in our town became their battle cry. The outcry spun into a fucking hysteria by the time I even knew what was going on. It was absurd. Luckily, Mike plays hockey with a couple of cops, one in Natick and one here in Wellesley. He convinced them to help him make a video of our house and basement to prove that we didn't have a goddamn dog ring anywhere on our property. That's outrageous, Biddy said, and I could tell she was trying to keep the humor out of her voice. I still have people attacking me on Insta and Facebook who think it was all a cover-up. But anyway, all of that happened within a week after the priest came. We knew it couldn't be a coincidence. And you think Nick did all of that? No, I know Nick did it. We know now that it sent him into a full-blown rage that we'd buried the St. Benedict medals on our shared property line. He became fucking unhinged by the whole thing. That's right, he told me he dug up those medals, I said, remembering how pissed Nick had been over the medals in his retelling of events. I didn't know he'd done that until I read your blog, but it made everything click into place. It connected all the dots. We didn't understand what happened. Nothing odd or scary had happened inside the house after the house blessing. After about a week of all that harassment, the pizzas, the broken window, the fucking dogfighting nonsense... All of a sudden, we began noticing doors again. Opening on their own? Yep, and slamming shut in the middle of the night, too. Janet sighed. I knew we were right back in it when I came down one weekend morning and found the front door wide open. I sent the kids to stay with their grandparents until we had everything sorted out. They're just over in Natick, so my dad brought them to school in the morning, and I picked them up in the afternoon. We called our real estate agent. I didn't know what the hell we were going to do to fix the situation, but I didn't want to live in that house any longer after I saw that little boy for myself. It was in the garage. It was evening, around like 8 o'clock. I'd closed the garage door behind me and was zoned out sitting in the car texting the girls. I'd just had dinner with them at my parents and was making sure they were okay. I heard a scraping noise along the passenger side of the car, but... I was so lost in texting that when I looked up for a second, I thought maybe I'd hit something with a car. I was about to open the door to see what had happened when I felt something pushed down on the back of the car. Wait, what do you mean? I asked dumbly. I drive a Jeep Grand Cherokee. It was like someone pushed down on the back bumper and then let the car pop back up. Oh, got it. I turned, figuring I'd see Mike standing there, just trying to joke around, but it wasn't Mike. 
I could just see the top of the boy's head, that full head of blonde hair. He was just standing there behind the car. I was fucking terrified. I locked the car doors and called Mike in a panic to come out and get me. When Mike answered and I told him what was going on, the boy started to move slowly around my side of the car towards my door. I scrambled across the passenger side to stay as far away from him as I could. I was screaming. I dropped the phone. I started kicking the steering wheel with my foot to honk the horn, too. But he just kept coming. He put his hands on the side of the car, sort of to pull himself up so he could see in the windows. Ugh. Janet gave an exaggerated shiver. His fingernails were caked with black dirt. He peeked his head up, and then Mike was behind me, pounding on the passenger side door, yelling my name. I unlocked the door, jumped out, and dragged him inside. I wouldn't let him look for the kid. We called the priest immediately and told him his whole, Janet motioned around with her hands, house blessing slash exorcism hadn't worked. He was shook, totally freaked out. He was like, that's not possible. I asked him if he'd like to come over to our garage and tell that to the demon kid out there. Ugh, I'm never parking in our garage again, I said dumbly. Trust me, I had Mike move both cars out of there the next morning, and neither of us ever parked in there again either. We did everything we could to fast-track the sale of that house, even priced it lower than our real estate agent suggested to get it to sell faster. Were you worried the demon would follow you wherever you went? Betty asked. We were fine when we were out of the house, and nothing happened with the girls and my parents. I planned to have the place blessed again once we moved out and to just wish the new owners well. She was silent for a long pause. I know how awful that sounds, but it was terrible living there. Things took off after this one night. Mike and I were in bed. It was late. Neither of us were sleeping well, so we'd been staying up late watching old episodes of The Office until we finally dozed off. I was just drifting off to sleep when a noise at the window woke me up. It sounded like tapping. I asked Mike if he'd heard it too, but he hadn't, but I wanted him to go check just in case. He got out of bed and pulled back the curtain, and I swear to God on my life, I saw Nick's face, staring in the window back at me. It was so fast. He was gone in a blink. Mike didn't even see him, but I swear he was there. I screamed bloody murder. Mike ran downstairs and out the back door. He saw Nick running into his backyard and through the woods towards Boulderbrook. It was dark, but he knows it was Nick. Is your bedroom on the first floor? I asked. Second. Biddy shifted in her seat. Jeez. What did he do? Drag a ladder into your yard? Nope. What the fuck? Are you saying he levitated? Wouldn't put it past him. God only knows what a possessed person can do. We sat in silence for a stretch, each lost in our own thoughts. I, for one, was imagining Nick floating up to my own second-floor bedroom window, a pompous smirk on his face. The thought was truly chilling. Janet finally continued, We called the police again. I knew we were getting a name for ourselves at the station, but what could we do? I didn't want that spooky little man anywhere near our house. After seeing his little angry face in her window, I just knew he was responsible for all of it. We told the police everything and they said that the only course we could take besides documenting each instance of harassment was to take out a restraining order against him. But they cautioned that in cases like ours, with neighbors living so close to one another, it could have the effect of escalating the situation. 
Mm. More women have been murdered by their exes after taking out restraining orders than anyone dares count, Biddy commented angrily. Janet narrowed her eyes. There is this real estate agent I used to work with back when I was just starting out. A creep latched onto her at one of her open houses, started turning up at every open house she held. Then she began to see him when she got coffee, driving past her when she was out for a run. It seemed like he was everywhere. Our manager told her to be careful, but that guys like that were just usually harmless. He just had a little crush, right? Then he started coming to her house. So she talked to the police, and they said if she was concerned for her safety, she should take out a restraining order. About a month later, the guy put her in the hospital. He nearly killed her, snuck into one of her open houses without her seeing him, and hid in a closet until everyone had left. Jesus, I breathed. Janet nodded. So, yeah, I know full well that restraining orders can be triggering. We didn't want to go that route at first, but Nick gave us no choice. What did that little fucker do? Biddy's voice shook with anger. We were moving, right? So we only had to make it a couple months. We'd already found this place, actually. Janet indicated her home. We'd put in an offer already, so it was just a matter of time. We knew our house would sell after the first open house, that our neighborhood is highly desirable, as the real estate agents like to say. Janet went back to the counter and poured the dregs of the coffee pot into her mug, along with another packet of Splenda. We decided to go and talk to him to try and smooth things over. That demon kid was enough to handle. We didn't need Nick breathing down our necks, too. Biddy sniffed. How'd that go for you? I'm sure you can imagine. Mike texted him, and Nick invited us over for cocktails. Maeve was cold. It was really uncomfortable. Mike tried to make light of things by making a joke about the pizza delivery, and Nick got super agitated, started ranting, How could we accuse him of such a thing? He had no idea what we were talking about. We were the ones being strange and on and on. Maeve just sat there looking shocked, like we were nuts. Sick of listening to the men snark back and forth at each other, I finally told Nick to shut up. You come onto our property again, I'll have you arrested. He got really calm after I said that. Creepy calm. Just rested back in his seat and said, That's fine, Janet. Make sure you say hi to the little boy for me. Uh Uh-uh, I breathed. We filed the restraining order the next morning. Two nights after that, we were having dinner when the lights in the kitchen went out. We figured we'd just blown a fuse. Mike went down to the fuse box in the basement and flipped the switch, and when he turned to come back upstairs, there was Nick standing behind him with a huge smile on his face, his hands in his pockets, looking like the smug piece of shit that he is. He goes, how's that restraining order working for you? Mike didn't hesitate. He screamed up to me, Janet, call the police. Nick's in the house. Long story short, I called. They came and arrested Nick. We thought it would put an end to things, but he got out of it with a bunch of lies and an expensive lawyer, and he sent us disgusting, cruel letters until the day we moved. Biddy shook her head in amazement. Holy shit. How the hell didn't I hear about any of this? Expensive lawyer, Janet replied. Again, silence fell over us as we considered what Janet had said. What about his wife? I finally asked. Wasn't she your friend? Maeve? 
Aha, yeah, she talked shit behind my back ever since we took out that restraining order. I suppose I can't blame her. She's trying to save face with their crew. And if she admitted to herself what a creep her husband is, her whole social life would be turned upside down. No, those two work as a spooky little team. Between the two of them, they did a number on my husband and I. People we thought were friends just went totally radio silent. But, you know, if any of those people had been true friends, then someone would have checked in on us, right? Not one of them did. I mean, to be honest, I wasn't exactly my best self when I ran with that crowd. I went full codependent for a while. It was like fucking high school. But I fully own my part. It brought out the worst in me. Total insecurity attack, trying to win everyone's approval. The whole thing just sucked. Janet suddenly looked embarrassed, as though she'd said too much. Anyway, I don't fuck with those people anymore. As awful as the whole thing was, it was a wake-up call. And it wasn't just the people. There's something about that neighborhood. Maybe it was Nick's doing, unleashing that demon with his Ouija board, but it just feels, I don't know, dark-sided over there. I can't explain it, but it's simply lighter in this part of town. Does that make any sense? It makes perfect sense, I said. Then, good for you for getting out of a bad situation. Janet's skeletally thin face was determined. I have no intention of ever going back. I'd like to offer my sincerest thanks to all the people who have donated to the Patreon in support of Ghosts in the Burbs. The podcast wouldn't exist at this time without you, so thank you so very much. A special thanks to Ashley Blackman, Sarah Scazzaro, Allison Jones, Krista Westlake, Megan Gerard, Marina Salea, Stacy Downey Starrett, Sky Akita Arch, Kathy Robinson, Holly Evans, Emma Gehring, Kelsey Burnside, Alejandra Quar, Ashley Crutchfield, Izzy Tadlock, Samantha Gremley, Ver, Alicia Mansfield, Beth Byer, Kristen Jennings, Kelly, Barbara Dembski, Erin Nichols, Christine Gervais, Murphy Williams, Jennifer M. Granger, Chelsea Ford, Kelly Kloppen, Mary Jane, Katie Gibbons, Kendra Bokius, Julie Levenhagen, Kylie, Jenna Kampschultz, Megan Smith, and Christine Smith. Thank you so very much. I truly hope that all of you are healthy, safe, and staying sane as we shelter in place and stay the fuck home. This has been Ghosts in the Burbs. Good night, sleep tight, and don't forget your nightlight.